John chapter 1, verses 35 through 37. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus, as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Good evening, and welcome again to our services. We're very grateful for your presence. And it's always good to have the opportunity to come together to worship God in spirit and in truth. We've had a good day. It's a beautiful day. And we're thankful that we have had the opportunity as God's people to come together to worship him, to enjoy a period of fellowship, to be strengthened by our worship together. We're going to be looking at John chapter 1. Before we look at John 1, I do want to make mention of the fact that last week, we asked those of you who were interested in supporting another series of television commercials, we asked that if you would be willing and if you would like to support this endeavor, that we would appreciate your financial help. And I did talk to Brother George tonight before our services and said that I would make mention of this again. I do want to express appreciation to those of you that have so generously given thus far uh, we are going to be doing some programs or some television commercials for Channel 5. We've run a series of ads on Channel 13, and we're now looking at doing a series of ads, 96 ads on Channel 5. And Channel 5 has a very wide viewing audience, and so we hope that in so doing that we can raise awareness of Isle of Branch Church of Christ and of the Lord's Church in this area. And so if you would like to help with this work, then please see one of the elders, or you can see me. But I know, that, I know that the eldership here would appreciate your help, and hopefully and prayerfully it will encourage somebody to come and to be a part of our worship services here. Tonight we're going to be looking at John chapter 1, and we're going to be talking about the importance of telling people about Jesus. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. In Mark 16, 15, and 16. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he said, teaching them to observe all things, Whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. As Christians, we have a tremendous opportunity to share the Lord Jesus Christ with our friends and family members. It ought to be the case that all of us are looking and constantly looking for people to share the Lord with. When you look at John chapter 1, you read about some events that take place and the events that are recorded here surround John the Baptist and two of his disciples. Interestingly, John the Baptist points his disciples in the direction of the Lamb of God. And they, in turn, I believe, exert great influence over the lives of others. And so that's what we want to do. We want to use our voice for good in a lost and dying world. We have a voice. We have the opportunity to herald 
the king. Just a moment ago, we sang about the king of kings, the Lord of lords. There is no greater privilege than sharing the Lord with other people. And so tonight I want us to look at John chapter one. The first thing I want us to do is to note the identity of Jesus. As we think about the identity of Jesus, John the Baptist really makes the claim for Jesus as the Lamb of God. Now as you look at John chapter one, of course John the Apostle is writing this particular narrative of the gospel. And John is providing us with a brief synopsis of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He introduces us to the word, the logos, the one who made the world. And he tells us that it is in him that men and women are afforded life. But then he also talks about the work of John the Baptist. And as I look at John chapter one and as I think about our study tonight, the first thing that comes to mind is the work of John the Baptist and then the witness of John the Baptist or the wisdom of John the Baptist. Consider, if you would, the work of John the Baptist. In verse six of chapter one, John tells us there was a man sent from God whose name was John. John the Baptist had a heaven-sent mission, and that is he was to be the herald, the announcer of the coming of the Messiah. Back in the book of Malachi, Malachi closes the Old Testament book of inspiration by pointing to the coming of Elijah. And when Luke records his narrative of the life of Jesus and the birth of John the Immerser or John the Baptist, he points out that John would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. Well, John the Baptist had a tremendous privilege, and that privilege was that he got to announce the coming of the king, the Lord of lords and king of kings. Down in verse 23, when John was interrogated as to who he was, he pointed out that he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He said, make straight the way of the Lord. And so here is John the Baptist and he is the herald of the king. Now as we think about the work of John the Baptist, you have to add to this the witness of John the Baptist because this really sets the stage for what he was all about. Now back in verse seven of chapter one, here's what the apostle John said concerning the witness of John the Baptist. He said, this man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. Now John the Baptist had a heaven sent mission and the apostle John says, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And what John the apostle is saying is that John the immerser, he had the privilege of pointing people in the direction of the light of the world. That is, the Son of God, the Lamb of God. Now as we think about the work of John the Baptist, the witness of John the Baptist, I want you to drop down now and look at verse 29. 
Because in verse 29 and following, we really are, are garnered insight into his, into his tremendous privilege of making known the Lamb of God. First, his profession. In verse 29, here's what is recorded. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now drop down and look at verse 36. In verse 36, again, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. Who was this Lamb of God? Listen to what John the Apostle has to say about John the, the Baptist or John the Immerser. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me for he was before me. I think that suggests the pre-incarnate Christ. The fact that Jesus has always existed. Back in verse one, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Jesus, like God the Father, has no beginning and no ending. He has always existed. And so we talk about the pre-incarnate Christ and the incarnate Christ. The fact that Jesus took upon himself bodily form. Verse 31, I did not know him but that he should be revealed to Israel, therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained upon him. I did not know him but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now we can look at the baptism of Jesus, and Jesus said that he was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. John had the opportunity to baptize Jesus. But note what John says about the Lamb of God. I have seen and testified or borne witness that this is the Son of God. This was no ordinary man. This was no ordinary king. This is the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the very Son of God. That's the one that John the Baptist had the opportunity to point people in the direction of. So we first of all note his profession about the Lamb, but note if you would his picture of the Lamb. A couple of things here. If you go back and look at verse 29, John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Down in verse 36 again, Behold the Lamb of God. There are two things that I would call attention to. First, the sacrifice of the Lamb. Jesus was that Lamb who came to give himself as a ransom for sin. Now Paul identifies him as the Passover lamb in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. He said, Christ, our Passover lamb, or our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. Israel's greatest deliverance was associated with what? With the Passover. You remember God's people were in Egyptian bondage. And so God instituted the Passover. And those who had the blood placed in the appropriate place in their places of abode or houses of abode, their firstborn was spared. Those who did not have the blood, their firstborn died. Well, 
that event was a type of Christ. Because Paul said, Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. So we think about the sacrifice of the lamb. And Isaiah chapter 53 pictures the suffering servant, the lamb of God who gave himself for our sins. But then I think about the saving power of the lamb. You see, Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins. John said, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Sin is the blight that the human family has been battling with since the Garden of Eden. Satan tempted and deceived Mother Eve. Adam likewise was taken in transgression. Sin entered the world, entered into the world and death by sin. And so you have both physical and spiritual death taking place. Mankind became separated from his God. And so in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God intervenes, sets forth the promised seed, and things begin moving toward the coming of the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. There is a great passage of Scripture found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 where Peter says we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. He said, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the world began but was manifest in these last times for you. And so Jesus was the lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. You and I, we owe our forgiveness to the shedding of the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God. To know that Jesus was not only a sacrificial lamb, but he is the saving lamb. To know that every sin can be hurled into infinity because of the work of Jesus on Calvary. Now, we talk about the identity of Jesus. And we ought to, to appreciate the identity of Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Son of God. But there's a second thing that I want you to see in our study, and that is the interest in Jesus. John the Baptist had a keen interest in Jesus, the Son of God. And I think one of the great things about this, this great text is that John the Baptist is a link in the sense he connects people with Jesus. That's what we're to do. We are to be a connecting link to the human family when it comes to Jesus. We have to tell people about the Lord. Now, as you look at John chapter 1, verse 35, here's what John the Apostle writes concerning the events that are occurring or unfolding in the ministry of John the Baptist. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, look at verse 37. I think verse 37 is one of the greatest passages in the Bible. The two disciples heard him speak 
And they did what? John said, they followed Jesus. What is it we are trying to do as preachers, teachers, servants, members of the body of Christ? What we're trying to do is point people in the direction of Jesus. When we preach, when we teach, we're not preaching ourselves. Paul said, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves as your servants for his sake. Paul was interested in preaching Christ and him crucified. What is it the world needs to hear? They need to hear about Jesus, the Son of God. What is it we ought to be trying to do? Point people in the direction of the Son of God. Sometimes in the church, people become infatuated with preachers. I do not know of any preacher that does not appreciate encouragement, words of kindness, support, prayers. But listen, those, those of us who preach and teach, our goal is not to cultivate a following after ourselves. Our goal is to stand in the shadow of the cross and preach Christ and him crucified. What we want to do is point people in the direction of Jesus. If people follow me, I'm not doing my job. Now, I understand that sometimes individuals will follow preachers and sometimes they follow them from congregation to congregation within a local city. And I'm sure that when situations like that occur, the preacher would, would probably prefer those people stay where they were. So I say that to simply emphasize the fact that it may be that some people follow preachers and there's nothing that can be done about that. But I think as gospel preachers, what we have to do is to tell people, you're not supposed to follow me. What you need to do is follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen again to what John said. John the Baptist saw Jesus. He said, behold the Lamb of God, the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. I heard a gospel preacher say on one occasion, and this gospel preacher is not just a preacher, but he is also a teacher. And I remember him saying distinctly on one occasion to those of us who were preachers, he said, if you leave a congregation and take people with you, you did not do your job. One day, I will not preach here. But that does not mean the work will not go on. There will be somebody else to fill this pulpit. Right now, I am, for lack of a better way to say it, the interim preacher. There was somebody here before me, there'll be somebody here after me if, if the world stands. And the point is, my job is to preach Christ. 
and to point people in the direction of Christ. Do you remember the problem that they had in Corinth? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul talked about some of the divisions that were occurring within that local body. And he said some were saying that they were of Paul, some of Apollos, some, he said, of Cephas, and some of Christ. You see what they had done, they were following men. And what, what Paul was saying is, what you need to do is follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Because after all, Paul would say, I wasn't crucified for you. You see, our goal, our thrust, is to point people in the direction of Jesus. If we do that, then we've done our job. All I can do is lead a horse to water. I can't make him drink. But I can strive to the best of my ability to lead people to Jesus, to point them in the direction of Christ. So there was some interest on the part of these two disciples, and they followed Jesus. Now, there's a third thing I want you to see in our study, and that is the impact that is wrought through Jesus. What kind of impact did Jesus have on these two disciples? Well, let's look at verse 38. A couple of things here. As we look at verse 38, and, and as, we, as we think about the impact that the Lord had on these two disciples, the first thing I want to call your attention to as we look at our text is these disciples wanted to spend time with Jesus. Verse 38, Then Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, Teacher. Where are you staying? Now, over in John chapter 3, you remember Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews, came to Jesus by night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no man can do the science which you do except God be with him. Now, I think that Nicodemus understood Jesus to be a great teacher. I'm not so sure, though, that he understood Jesus to be the Son of God at that point in time. And so they had an extended conversation about the new birth. And the fact that in order to enter the kingdom of God, a person has to be born again. It's not a physical birth, but rather a spiritual birth. People are born of water and the Spirit, John 3, verse 5. And Jesus would say, marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. So, these two disciples refer to Jesus as rabbi, which, of course, being translated, is teacher. And so they ask this question, where are you staying? Here's what Jesus said. Come and see. Is it not interesting that Jesus often is seen inviting people? Jesus invites people to investigate, to look him over. The beauty of Scripture is it's transparent. What you see is what you get. And I think that was the way it was with the Lord Jesus Christ. What you saw, that's what you got. So Jesus says to these two men, Come and see. We talk about the great invitation of Jesus in his earthly ministry. And well, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. 
The Bible closes, Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, with a great invitation. The spirit and the bride say, come, let, let him who hears come. Let him who is thirsty come. And whoever wills, let him, does, let him take of the water of life freely. And so invitations extended by the Lord Jesus Christ and by his followers. So Jesus says, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. By Roman time, that would be 10 a.m. in the morning. By Jewish time, it would be 4 p.m. in the afternoon. I'm not really sure if it was Roman time or Jewish time that they were using on this occasion. But nonetheless, they spent time with Jesus. I want to ask you this, this question. If you spent a day with Jesus, what would he see in your life? I want you to think about that. If the Lord Jesus Christ followed you around from sunup to sundown, what would he see in your life? Now let me ask this question. If you, spent the le if you spent the day with the Lord Jesus Christ and you had the opportunity to follow in his footsteps from sunup to sundown, what would you see in his life? I'll tell you one thing, you'd be impressed. Can you imagine these men had the opportunity to spend time with Jesus? Over in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, we read about Peter and John, and Peter and John are right here in this text. Peter a little bit later, but John, I believe, is one of the two disciples. John the apostle, that is. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were literally called on the carpet for healing a man at the gate of the temple. And the Bible tells us that having interrogated them, their conclusion was these are untrained, uneducated men, but they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. These men had the opportunity to spend some three years with Jesus Christ, following in his footsteps, listening to what he said, observing the great miracles that he performed. Did you know that Jesus is still inviting people to spend time with him? You and I, we can spend just as much time with the Lord Jesus Christ as the apostles did. How do we do that? By reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We ought to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John every day. You want to grow closer to the Lord? Read about him. Study his life. Try to imitate his life. Become like him. Live a Christ-like life. So, these men had the opportunity to spend time with Jesus. They wanted to spend time with Jesus. Sometimes I wonder if people really want to spend time with Jesus. Sometimes people are big on talk and little on action. So, you want to spend time with Jesus. Did you know that if you want to spend time with Jesus, you have to initiate it? The Lord has already extended his invitation but if you want to spend time with him, you've got to take the initiative to open this book to read and study about the Son of God. You've got to take the initiative to listen when the gospel is preached, whether it be in worship, radio, television, whatever the case may be. There's something to be said for wanting to grow closer to the Lord. So not only did these men want, want to spend some time with Jesus, but John the Apostle 
in recording these events tells us that they wanted to share Jesus. How do I know that? Well, listen now to verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now listen to what is said in verse 41. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. Now you remember just a minute ago I said that they used the term rabbi, teacher. Nicodemus used that same word when he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Nicodemus may not have understood Jesus to have been the Christ, the Son of God. These men, however, they came to understand. I believe they connected the dots. They listened to John the Baptist, the forerunner to the Christ. They could look back to the Old Testament scriptures and their conclusion was, we have found the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one of whom the prophets of old had pointed to. We found him. Look at the excitement. Look at the enthusiasm. Here is Andrew. He first finds his own brother Simon and said, we found the Messiah. I want to ask you this question. Since you've been baptized into Christ, who have you talked to about Jesus? With excitement and enthusiasm, have you said to anybody, let me tell you about Jesus, the Son of God. I mentioned just a moment ago Peter and John over in the book of Acts. You remember chapter 4? They took knowledge that these men had been with Jesus. They were commanded not to teach or preach in the name of Jesus. And what did they do? They said, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That's conviction. That's courage. What is it the church of Christ needs tonight? It is courage and conviction. Courage to speak up boldly in the name of Christ and conviction that everything we believe the Bible says about him, it is so. Jesus Christ is life-altering. He is mind-altering. And I really believe the case that Jesus Christ is nation-altering. Our world today is upside-down in trouble. Our nation is upside-down. We've got all kinds of problems. The answer is Jesus. The answer has come to Christ. The answer is for us to point people in the direction of Jesus. And so I ask the question again, who have you talked to about Jesus? Did Jesus not say go into all the world and preach the gospel to every, every creature? Did Jesus not say go therefore and make disciples of all nations? Do you have a neighbor? Do you have a friend? Do you have a classmate? Do you have a co-worker? Do you have a family member that's never heard about Jesus, never heard about New Testament Christianity? Can you not tell them about Christ? Should you not tell them about Christ? There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. If we don't tell people, who will? We have that responsibility. Now, here's Andrew. And the Bible says he first found his own brother and said, we found the Messiah. Do we care enough about our family to tell them about Jesus? Do we care enough about our friends to tell them about Jesus? Do we care enough about the people we go to school with to tell them about Jesus? Do we care enough 
about the people we work side by side with five days a week to tell them about Jesus. Andrew found his brother and said, we have found the Messiah. Now here's what I want you to see. Out of this, we have Simon Peter coming in contact with Jesus. Listen to what's said. Verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. When Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. When you look at the New Testament and you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and then you read the book of Acts and then you read the book, the books of 1st and 2nd Peter, what, what do you conclude? One person welded great power in the life of another. Here is Andrew. He takes his brother to see Jesus. He tells him about Jesus, and then the text says he brought him to Jesus. What does the apostle Peter do? Well, the apostle Peter ultimately becomes a great disciple, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have his sermon recorded in Acts chapter 2. We have another, another sermon recorded in Acts chapter 3. And then you have the preaching and teaching of the apostle Peter. You ever wondered how many people obeyed the gospel through the preaching and teaching of Peter? How many people are still being influenced by that man? Who was the link to the apostle Peter? Andrew, his brother. Now let me ask this question. Who have you talked to about Jesus? Is it not the case that if you were to talk to somebody, lead them to Christ, in other words, convert them, they obey the gospel, is it not the case that they might in turn talk to others? Who will then talk to others? Who will then talk to others? And then you have any number of people obeying the gospel. Let me read for you what I believe to be one of the greatest, one of the greatest articles I've ever read on the power of influence. To some of you it may not be new. I've read it before. I don't know how many times I've read it, but I love it. And every time I, every time I read it, it, it just... It encourages me. And so I want to share it with you. It's called The Power of One by Flavel Nichols. And the reason I want to read it is because I believe it helps to reinforce what Andrew did and the kind of people we ought to become. During the war between the states, a young woman learned the truth and obeyed the gospel. Her sweetheart, J.H. Hallbrook, was a Confederate soldier. He was captured by the Union Army and kept a prisoner in Michigan until the war was over. He was given a ticket to Nashville, Tennessee and $2.50. From there, he returned to Centerville, Tennessee and found what was left of his home and family. He found his girlfriend and they were married. His wife studied the Bible with him and he soon became a Christian. He thought the truth was so good and simple that he began to teach and baptize many of his friends and neighbors. He began to preach, but he recognized the need for more training. So he came to the original Mars Hill Bible School taught by T.B. Larimore. Upon completing his studies there, instead of going back to Tennessee, they moved further south, coming to Walker, Marion, Fayette, and Lamar counties in Alabama. One of his many converts was Charlie Alexander Wheeler. His wife taught him to read from the Bible. 
Along with his wife, C.A. Wheeler obeyed the gospel and soon began to preach others. He started more than 100 congregations and baptized more than 6,000 people. Now listen to this. But wait, the story's not ended. One of those 6,000 was my father, the late Gus Nichols. 12,000 people were baptized under his preaching. Among those baptized by Gus Nichols, no one knows nor can know how many began to preach the glorious gospel of Christ. But I personally know of several. I, Flavel Nichols, am one whom he baptized and whom he encouraged to preach the truth. Under my preaching, about 3,000 have been baptized. A few among them preached the gospel also. Only eternity can reveal the total results of the conversion of that one girl nearly 150 years ago. Results are not all in. But this shows that 21,000 people have become Christians through this single thread in the fabric of her influence. What's astounding. And so here's what Brother Nichols says. Go and do likewise, Luke 10, 37. You are important too. Dear reader, if you go to heaven, others probably will be saved by you. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? 1 Corinthians 7, 16. Let thy light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5, 16. And here's what he says in conclusion. Each one is important. The title of this article, The Power of One. One person. Look at how many people were influenced by one person. And then look at Andrew, one person and all the people that no doubt had the opportunity to hear, believe, and obey the gospel through his contact. I want to close tonight by saying it is imperative that we tell people about Jesus. We talk about the importance of telling people about Jesus. It is not just important, it is imperative. In closing, I want to ask you this question. If you were the only person living in this community that happened to be a New Testament Christian, how long would it be before somebody heard about Jesus? I would hope and pray that all of us become more soul conscious that we're concerned about the lost and that we do our part. The Lord didn't ask us to save the world, but he did ask us to do our part. If you're here tonight and you're not a New Testament Christian, we beg, we plead, we encourage you, come to Christ. There, there is no other way than the way of the cross. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Luke said, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If we're going to be saved, it has to be through Jesus Christ. Here's what you need to do. Believe that he is the Son of God, John 8, 24. Repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3. Confess his name before others, Matthew 10, 32. And then be immersed in water so that every sin can be washed away, Acts 2, 38. If you do that, the Lord will add you to the church, Acts 2, 47. And if you live faithfully until death, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2.10.
If you're here tonight, you're not faithful to his cause, why not come home? Come back to a loving God who will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.